0: You are listening to the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. Please stick around after today's episode to listen to a short reading from this month's issue of The Path, an online yoga journal that brings together yoga philosophy, practice, and seasonal wisdom and includes a monthly live gathering at the end of each month. You can subscribe by visiting our website at ashtangadispatch.com.
1: Okay, so good morning, We'll begin with the chanting of the Shanti Mantra from the Purusha Sutta. This is one of the ancient poems of the Vedas. And it says, we worship and pray to the Supreme Lord for the welfare of all beings.
0: It was March 9th, 2020, just a few days before the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. Eddie Stern caught the last Delta flight out of Bombay to return to his home in Brooklyn, New York, just before the whole world descended into isolation and lockdowns, struggling to make sense of the overwhelming uncertainty. And yet Eddie barely skipped a beat. Like a crisis first responder, he quickly and seamlessly transitioned his teaching to online. Though to hear him tell it, it wasn't exactly rocket science.
1: Part of yoga is when there's something going on whether it's a catastrophe or you know a hurricane or gun violence or hungry people or whatever and and you're supposed to be there addressing those things then you just do it and that's all there doesn't need to be any bigger thing than that you know everyone's at home hey let's chant some mantras that'd be a good idea you know a lot of people are by themselves right you know, they're by themselves. They don't have access to anything right now. It, actually, they do. They have access to a computer. So, hey, let's do some yoga. That's all. That's it. I'm sorry, this is like terribly boring interview for you, Peg and Megan.
0: Simple, yes, but Eddie is definitely not boring. I mean, first of all, he's kind of like a New York legend, keeps company with stars like Gwyneth Paltrow, Moby. Just last week, Willem Dafoe wore one of his new Broom Street Temple t-shirts on Saturday Night Live. And while he prefers to keep the yoga simple, when it comes to the science behind the yoga, Eddie totally ignites. In fact, you can read a recent article he co-authored in Psychology Today regarding different breathing practices that can help with a kind of silent hypoxia people have been experiencing or tune into his presentation at this year's Yoga and Science Conference, which will be held online in March. We'll have links to both and more on our show notes for today. But where Eddie never ceases to amaze, and if I'm honest, also leave me feeling slightly unnerved, is in his willingness to speak so frankly and openly to what he believes to be true. Even when that truth is unpopular, or hard to hear. And even when that means his own past is called into question.
1: It's okay for me to feel bad about that. It's fine for me to feel ashamed that I was trying to inflict a dogma on the world that shouldn't have been there, that didn't really reflect the higher teachings of yoga as as I think that they really are. It's fine to feel that way because that's gonna ensure that I don't go back in that direction again.
0: welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. I'm Peg Mulqueen, your host, along with Megan Powell. The past few years have been like living a story as it unfolds. And it's this story that we hope to begin telling through the podcast by weaving together the individual perspectives into a tapestry of shared but different experiences. Today's guest is Eddie Stern. Since the 1980s, Eddie has been studying, learning, and practicing yoga, and all of its associated philosophies and texts, which Eddie describes as an endless ocean of knowledge and information, with always something new to learn. And why, even though he's best known for his role as a yoga teacher, it's being a student he clearly cherishes just as much. In fact, he's now, in his second semester, doing a master's in science for yoga. Of course, Eddie is not new to us on the podcast. He's been a guest with us twice before. His first appearance, episode 31, is our most listened to episode of all time, with over 25,000 downloads. It was recorded in New York at the Brooklyn Yoga Club, which closed about a year before the pandemic set in. Megan and I had been visiting and taken his lead primary class just before we recorded. I remember saying to her after, If I were to ever have a daily yoga teacher, I would definitely want it to be Eddie. But let's face it, 2,000 miles is an awful long commute to make for a yoga class, even with Eddie Stern, (laughs) which was some of the lovelier changes that the pandemic has brought, this opportunity to practice and learn from teachers who live far away. And so a few mornings a week, I open my computer in my own home studio, and I'm guided through a movement and breathing practice with Eddie, who now teaches both in person and online from his newly opened Broom Street Temple. Though it's at an ungodly hour, I admit, I'm two hours behind. I wouldn't trade those early mornings for the world. Eddie emits an acceptance and warmth that comes through even a screen and teaches with no fuss or flourishes, He is simple, steady, and straightforward, reminding me to just breathe and relax. Which, I have to tell you, more than anything else, is exactly what I
1: need. Thank you. I mean, um, you know, it's just, that's how I relate to what I do with yoga. And it's not for everybody. Some people like a little bit more detail and a little bit more quote unquote instruction. And um I get overcomplicated with other things. You know, I get I like science and and that's complex. And I like ancient texts and those are complex. And all of those things, I enjoy the complexity of it and I enjoy the complicated nature of those things. But for yoga practice, the basic idea I think is that you're trying to make your mind pretty quiet so you can um, be calm and be focused and somehow be connected to some ineffable part of ourselves. And in order to do that, it seems like less is more in terms of talking and detail and thinking. You don't want to be thinking too much. The thinking part of the mind is a part of the mind which is problematic already. So, and engaging that even more doesn't help everybody. For some people, it's really helpful. And then like for me, if I start overthinking how I'm doing the pose, it's like if I'm doing a pose looking in a mirror, like I'll start to lose my energy, I'll get tired, I'll lose, um, uh, you know, the prana will disperse and stuff like that. So that's just how I like it. So that's, cause it's how I practice and that's how I'm gonna teach. As soon as you bring yourself into whichever version of the asana you are doing, hold your body still, hold your mind still, and focus on your breathing. At whatever point you are in the asana, you can do any of those things.
0: That kept being my mantra. I'm just going to get there and I'm just going to breathe where I am. And, you know, if all's working, just breathe.
1: And... and Also, something will happen too. like if you just sit there and breathe then something else might happen that might teach you something about the position you're in. But again, like, you know, I see the value of people constantly saying adjust this and move that and go here and there. And and that's cool. It's just not how I grew up doing yoga. So that's all there is to it.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate that approach. I work hard all the time in everything I do. I don't know why it took me so long to accept support during the pandemic, but it, it's been really nice and very needed and very appreciated. So,
1: Well, now that the pandemic's almost over, it's a pleasure to have you.
0: <laughs> the truth is, I've been experiencing more grief and anxiety lately than I did throughout the entire pandemic. Up until now, I remained pretty steady, despite all the inevitable stress and change. And so maybe this is what they're calling COVID fatigue. But in any case, these feelings seem a bit awkwardly timed, as if there's something wrong with me that I'm only now just experiencing.
1: No, it's fine. You've been doing great. You know, you had, you had all the inner resources you needed to carry you through and to stay strong. And now maybe you're a little tired. Um, maybe your body has gotten tired of carrying you through. And so, yeah, you're starting to feel some of the, um, the, the symptoms of um, sympathetic hyperarousal, they would call it, where your sympathetic nervous system, which alerts you to danger and um, urges you to move towards safety by fighting or fleeing from your situation, um, maybe has reached its tipping point, where it's gone on just long enough, and now you're like you're starting to crash from it. So you're feeling the things emerging. Um, but up, you know, if you are an adaptable, resilient, growth-oriented person, then you can handle stressors from the environment in a balanced way without it throwing you off but we can only go on for so long before something throws us off and it could just be the duration of time it doesn't have to be a specific event it could just be time duration like okay I've reached the end of my rope and you know now I'm feeling a little freaked out you know it's kind of like it's kind of like say you were um on a um you're in a car, you're racing down the road and uh, it's dark out, you're on a road you're not familiar with. And all of a sudden you take a really sharp swerving turn because there's like a, a cliff right on the side of the road that you didn't even realize. And Like you just avoid driving over the edge, but you keep driving another hour or two, you reach your destination, you get out of the car and you're like, holy shit, that was a close one. We almost totally fucking bought it. And then you start freaking out and you're like, I need a drink. So. But in the moment you handled it, your nervous system knew what to do. And you could keep driving without losing it because your nervous system knew what to do and get. But when you got to where, when you knew like I can let go now, I'm in a safe place, then it all comes flooding. And then all the adrenaline and the cortisol and the everything comes coursing through the system. And then you got a rebound. Maybe that's happening to you now.
0: I asked Eddie what has stood out for him the most over the course of these past two years. And his answer was one. I think we can all relate to and feel.
1: The killing of George Floyd was really, really bad. That was the most intense part of the pandemic in in New York. And I think for the world, that was really a horrible and upsetting, you know, beyond words incident. And, um, that, um, that was a painful time for everybody, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. And um, But in terms of like the pandemic itself, it's been very bad. A lot of people have died. A lot of people have lost work. Um, there's been a lot of suffering, but also every generation has its disasters. Some generations have more than one disaster in a row. And looking back as far as we look, That's the nature of the world. We have to expect that really bad things are going to happen because that's the world. The world is an imperfect place. And what we want to hope for is that when bad things happen, we have the tools or the resources or the courage to deal the best we can without creating more chaos around us. So this was one of the things that we had, you know, we also had, um, a very divisive, fractured and angry and upsetting uh, political climate. You know, for the four years that Trump was in office, um, America turned into a very ugly place. That was exacerbated a lot during the pandemic. So we kind of had like, you know, that was like not two separate things, but a concurrent thing. was concurrent from, from political upset into uh, health upheaval. Did we deal with it very well as a country or as a world? In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. And That's how it's always going to be with catastrophes. And, you know, I think that in the beginning, there were a lot of people talking about how COVID was gonna change the world and so many good things were gonna come out of it. And we were really gonna be like, you know, emerge from this as, as more together, communitive, kinder people and stuff like that. And I never really jumped on that bandwagon. I thought that you know, we're only gonna emerge from this uh, in whatever way we act during it. And if we don't act well, then, you know, we're probably gonna not emerge well. And if we act well, then we probably will. So, and that's going to, again, be split into the 50, 50% of the people who believe one thing and the 50% who believe another in the world. It's just the nature of stuff. And there's going to be phases too, like in um, October, November, things were feeling like they were heading back to normal in New York. And then there was the Omicron variant and then, uh, you know, cases shooting up everywhere in the city and around the world. So then people went into panic mode again. So we're going to be, there's still a lot of shifting back and forth. Like, oh, we're, we're coming out of it. Oh man, we're going back in. Oh, we're coming out of it. Oh man, we're going back in. It's been a lot of that, you know, and, um, uncertainty, uh, is hard to manage, you know, unless you're wired for it or you've trained yourself for it, but, um, mass uncertainty, is even more challenging because it's not just you being uncertain about your future, but it's everyone being uncertain about the future at the same time and all having different ideas about how we should deal with that uncertain future, uh, what the meaning of that uncertain future is, why it's not really uncertain, but it's just you know, corporate interests trying to control us. And so there's a lot of different dialogues happening and that is standard operating procedure for humanity. I never enjoyed hearing people wax poetic about the pandemic because there was too much suffering and too much death. And I haven't enjoyed people with the conspiracy theories uh, as well, because that doesn't necessarily help the issue. And uh, the way that I viewed it is that um, it's a really bad disease. You don't want to get it. Some people who get it are lucky enough to not get too sick. Um, But a lot of people are not lucky to not get too sick, and it can have really long-lasting consequences. I had it in January, beginning of the year. It was not fun. And um, even though it's just a month later, I still feel the effects of having it. You know, I'll tell you, the bed yoga that I was doing and the practices that I was doing – um, that I was posting on Instagram made me feel a lot better, a lot quickly, uh, a lot quickly, a lot better, very quickly. And it was very, very simple stuff, you know, very simple things, um, but they made me feel better. And I've shared those things with a bunch of different people who also found it to be helpful. Nothing taxing, you know, very short practices. I'm, I'm very much into short practices these days. I don't have the energy right now for longer ones anyway.
0: With COVID as our catalyst, perhaps, I think we can all say that we've seen our yoga practice shift over the past few years, Eddie included. And in a self-described rant, one I didn't anticipate, Eddie doesn't mince words as he explains those changes within his own personal practice and in the way he now teaches.
1: The Ashtanga yoga sequences, which i been doing for a long time i guess i started doing them in 1991 and i really decided to make an effort at them in 1992 and from 1992 until kind of last year um now beginning of 2021 or so that was mainly what i did you know so we're talking a good 30 years or so mainly what i did but the whole thing of it's a six day a week practice, you know, never miss a day, blah, 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 blah. Was always a struggle for me because the I, I have a lot of energy for creativity and for doing things and for creating stuff, but I don't have the same kind of energy for physical things. Um, by nature, physically, I'm like a lazy person, but, but mentally, And creatively, 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 I'm super active. A lot of ideas, a lot of inspiration. And so to try to practice the intensive things that we did every day, like full on, was always a struggle for me. And um, when I would spend longer periods in Mysore pushing through every day, I mean, there were periods where I would be in pain for like, you know, an entire year at a time over there. Um, But thinking that I had to push through everything and struggle through and, you know, keep doing, doing, doing. Um, Did I see any discernible benefit from that? Not really. Um, And um, I um, just decided to stop doing that like about a year and a half ago. And it you know, it took me long enough to get there. And not only, not only did I struggle with it mentally, but in terms of scheduling, like, you know, if I was traveling or if I was working a lot, which I do, you know, sometimes I'm tired in the morning at three o'clock when I have to get up and practice. And so I won't be able to finish a practice and I'll think, oh, I didn't get it done today. And, and this type of thinking is endemic in the Ashtanga yoga world. And if you look to just about any other yoga system in India or spiritually oriented practice or practice group, there's not that kind of mentality with the exception perhaps of Iyengar yoga, which is also very driven. So I am, you know, yeah, you should do some practice every day if you want to. It's good to to you know to do some stuff, but I think that there's a difference between doing, say, a meditation practice that you do once or twice a day, say like TM or some other mantra-based thing or or a, another type of meditation, where it's restoring and rejuvenative for the whole body-mind complex and nervous system, and a practice that requires an hour and a half, give or take of really intense physical exertion six days a week isn't going to work for everyone. Um, It's gonna work for some people because they have the capacity to do it. But for those that don't have that same capacity, maybe something else would be better. Maybe the idea that you can take these parts of these sequences and do some of them every day. So you're doing something but you don't have to do everything every day. And what you're trying to look for, let this guy go by. Yeah, you know, and what people, I think in New York or in places where there are a lot of sirens need to remember when one goes by is not that it's annoying but somebody needs help. And uh, then you're not annoyed by the sound because like, Imagine if you're on the receiving end of that siren, you know, you want them to get there. Um, All right, so yeah, like what if just we had been given more options within the practice? here's a malleable thing for you to use so that you become healthier, happier, um, live longer, or at least if you're not gonna live longer that while you're alive, you have mobility, and your system functions the best that it can. Your mind is calm, you feel good about yourself and you're balanced in your life. You know, you're ready to do what you need to do. So that's not at all how I was trained in India. I was trained to push it really hard all the time, um, to do it anyway, that if I had pain, it was my fault because I wasn't breathing properly. Um, or wasn't doing something properly. Um, The status quo was that the sequences were perfect. And, um, you know, just do the sequence and, you know, the quote unquote, all is coming or whatever. And like all this stuff. And I was a perpetuator of that for a long time too, because um, I wanted to believe it. But, But, you know, I didn't really, fully believe it. And over the past couple of years, um, not only I've been able to say that I don't really believe that, um, I've been able to act accordingly too. And I don't really believe that for myself. So I'm not gonna do that to myself anymore. And I don't actively believe it for other people too. So I'm not gonna encourage you to think that way. But if you're able to do it, or you're able to do it for a certain period of time, fabulous enjoy it be happy learn stuff it's good to challenge ourselves we grow from challenge but what it's not good to do is beat the shit out of yourself every day for years on end thinking that it's going to make you grow spiritually when really maybe all it's going to get you is a hip replacement or spinal surgery or exhaustion or burnout or maybe You just start getting old. That actually happens to people. Um, People somehow begin to age as the years go by. Your bodies don't always do the same things. So what are the options then for us, Um, you know, as aging occurs? um, There's there's not really a lot of glamor in trying to hold on to the things you could do when you were 20 or 25 or 30. Um, when you're, you know, 54, 55 and um, the it's not good for you mentally. And I always like, you know, it was even 10 or 15 years ago, I would look at some of the people I knew who were getting up at two in the morning to put a hot lamp on their back for an hour and a half and do their stretches and their warm ups for an hour, you know, before they actually went to do their practice. And I was like, why? like what kind of a practice demands for you to prepare yourself for two hours before you go do it that doesn't make any sense. And there are a lot of people who who continue to do that type of thing. I need to warm up before I do my practice. Why? Well, obviously your practice is like way too hard then because built into the way you're practicing, you should be able to ease into the things that you need to do, not do four hours of prep before you actually step on your yoga mat. That's like saying, you know, I'm going to go sit down and meditate now, but I need to like work on my concentration for an hour or so before I actually get on my meditation cushion. I'm going to need to do, you know, I'm going to need to pull up one of those learning apps like uh, Lucid or something and do some mental drills. And um, I'm going to do some, like online you know uh testing to make sure my cognitive functions are happening right and um whatever and and now i'm going to go sit on my meditation cushion like no you don't do that you you know you have glass of water a cup of tea or coffee or whatever and you sit down and set your time if you have one take a few slow breaths and then you just then you're gone you know then you start but yoga practice is supposed to be the same you know you, the time that you do your sadhana is the time that you're doing it. You don't prepare for hours before your sadhana in order to get ready for it. And so that kind of preparation, another type of thing. When I was in Mysore, this was endemic. Everyone was warming up for an hour or so before they actually got to the yoga shala. It was like, doesn't make any sense. Um, I'm sorry. Like If you look at the Indian tradition of what asanas are for, That's not part of it. So, um, I don't know, these are some of my opinions. Again, I really wanna reinforce it for the folks who it works for and they can do all these things. Like, great, it worked for me for a while in this type of way too, even though I struggled with an everyday practice. And honestly, I never had the type of consistency of quality of practice like I observed other advanced people having. I didn't have that quality of like, quote unquote, good practice every day where I could just do everything every day. I was always up and down, always up and down. When I do my own practices of the things that I want to do and work on the different types of yogas that I'm doing now, I don't have that same up and down ever. I have consistency because here's what I'm gonna work on today. Um, And it just, and I allow myself to flow into that and do those things. And um, I always finish feeling better than when I started and not exhausted. I was getting exhausted from trying to push these practices too hard. Maybe that means that I was doing them wrong. Maybe it means that it just wasn't for me. Whatever the answer is or whatever anyone says about me and why they think it might be so that I didn't have the consistency of the greatest of the practitioners. I really don't care because it didn't work for me. Um, uh it, even though I think there's goodness in it. The way that the pedagogy was being done, that thing didn't work for me. The do-it-anyway, the don't think about it all this time, the keep pushing, to keep going further, you can do a little bit more. That didn't work for me. Anyway. I don't want to teach like that, but I think the sequences are basically good. They're not the the best sequences in the world. They're one of many, many good sequences. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And there, there are things that are nice about the practice, like you know what comes next, so you don't have to think about it. That's a good thing, too. Like if you're not a professional yoga person and you're just doing yoga because it makes you feel good before you go to work and it helps you, you know, not throw your kids out the window and stuff like that, then It's nice to have a sequence because you don't have to think about it. You can just do it. And like Tai Chi or something, you do it, you're done, feel better. Fantastic. So in that regard, it can be very, very good. I don't think there's necessarily any huge spiritual benefit to doing the same thing, same asana practice every day. Um, That is going to be more pronounced than if you were doing other things as well. You know, people grow in all different disciplines. So... So that's all, Um, I'm sorry if this was a little bit of a rant, but um, that's where I'm at right now. And I think that was one of the questions you wanted to ask me, like, where am I at right now? And this is basically where I'm at right now. I think Ashtanga Yoga is good. I have a lot of appreciation for it um, and a lot of gratitude for everything that learning and teaching this system has brought to my life. But where I'm at now teaching is that I'm teaching it a little bit differently without too much dogma. And, um, I'm also teaching other things that I practice, uh, the different Hatha yoga things that I experiment with and that I research, I teach those things too. And I primarily practice those things now too. So, you know, even if you look to any physical discipline, say you have a yoga master or a uh, uh, martial arts master. And I'm not by any means a master, but if you look at to any of these people, when they get to their sixties or seventies or eighties, they're still teaching the things that they used to do when they were younger. They might not be practicing them anymore because it doesn't work for their body, kalari or anything like that. So I'm looking at it like, you know, that's the phase I'm going into right now. Like um, these things don't work for my body anymore, but I'm still gonna continue to teach them because they work for other bodies And they do well for other bodies. So let other people experience the um, joy that can be had from them. But, you know, I'd like to create a a zone of learning that doesn't become too obsessive. And I say that because I've observed a lot of obsessiveness. I've been um, a, um, a contributor to people being obsessive about practices through the way that I was teaching. And so I um, and I feel bad about that, that I was that I was contributing to the world in that kind of a way. And that's okay. It's okay for me to feel bad about that. It's fine for me to feel ashamed that I was um, trying to inflict a dogma on the world that shouldn't have been there, that didn't really reflect the higher teachings of yoga as as I think that they really are. It's fine to feel that way because that's going to. ensure that I don't go back in that direction again. So um, I'm not concerned about feeling bad about myself for those things. And I'm not concerned about feeling a a little bit ashamed. That's good, that's a learning tool. So that's where I am, yay.
0: No, really, yay.
1: (laughs) And who knows where I'll be next week, it could be some. Megan how are you you haven't said anything
2: I know I've just been listening because it's I haven't had anything to contribute but I'm really good I thought I really appreciated your words on practice and um and having it work for you or wherever you're at and your body and the past couple years have been uh sort of working with that and myself with Noticing the thoughts of it having to be this intense six day a week practice, you know, I'm young, I'm fit, it should work for me. Like why can't I do it every? like why am I so tired? And I kind of reached the end of my rope a long time ago. And then um, working with how to adjust my physical practice to fit where I was at and um, and rearranging like sequences and experimenting and exploring and I felt at first very well like slightly ashamed because I felt why isn't this working and then over time it's just now I'm at a place where my body doesn't feel as tired I feel great like young enthusiastic energetic but I certainly didn't for a while um so I really really appreciate your words on that
1: Yeah, and sometimes we need like you know, some strict training and discipline in order to um, put something into place to get us to the next step. You know, it's like if you look at abstract artists, pretty much all of them started off with immense classical training in drawing and painting. And then only after they could draw with impeccable skill and paint with impeccable skill, did they go off and start developing other things that we then began to appreciate. So, there's something really to be said for having a strong disciplined training, but how long do you need to sharpen the instrument for? You know, if you keep sharpening an instrument for too long, it will become dull um, or you'll wear it down. You know, at a certain point, you have to start using it to keep that instrument active and, and moving in different types of ways. So, so I hear you. Pancha inhale. Shodha, exhale. Navasana, sapta, jump through, bring the legs up, and breathe. One, two. It's it's not like anything goes, you know, it's not. Some things make sense and some things don't. And um, certain things fit together and certain things don't fit together. And what you, you know, we all should be developing over the years is kind of a vocabulary or a grammar of the body and of the practices that we know and understand how to put those together in a way that um, makes sense for general human anatomy and physiology Um, and then everything's fine and but some things simply don't make sense like there are a lot of bad sequences out there that aren't going to be good for your body who knows where they came from people made them up there other i mean i went to um Last two years ago, I went to a hot yoga class formerly called Bikram with my friend, Marcus Santebi, the uh, the Juice Press New York City legend. And he loves Bikram yoga, so I went with him and um, you know I did the class and the 26 poses and the two breathing practices. And although it was a little bit hot for me, at the end of it, he said, how did you like it? And I said, I felt like I was at a yoga class. And the poses were put together in a really sensible way. And I felt like I had done yoga and I felt like, you know, this is a really good thing. This community is great. I went to a um, another yoga class with a friend of mine who's um, a very much a fitness enthusiast. And it was a, to a core power yoga class. And he said, I'll take you to this class. This class I really like. I went to it. I couldn't see where there was yoga anywhere in that class at all. I saw no discernible yoga, except for a couple of yoga poses thrown in in between calisthenics, and um, weightlifting. And um, I did not feel like I had been in a yoga class at all. I felt like I'd been in a high intensity interval training class with a few yoga poses thrown in. I mean, everyone was basically leaving there feeling happy and pumped. But they weren't leaving there with the same character of mind that they were leaving from the hot yoga class with, because it wasn't really a yoga class. Um, it was something else. It was an exercise class exercise class with some yoga. So um, how do you know if it's yoga? Basically, the effect that it has on your mind and the collective mind, if the people are doing it, that's how you're going to observe. You know, it's not going to be, oh, because this is yoga, that's not yoga. It's going to be, well, the proof is in the pudding. So if you're doing classical types of practices you generally are going to see those effects all across the board uh, whether it's the isha yoga or the yoga being done at uh, you know Ravi Shankar's or um, Shivananda, whatever but some of these other things uh, that are the real hybrid practices they're meant for something else and um and that should be freely stated and freely said. Um, people should be able to talk about those things with, um, without so much of a judgmental mind, but just be discerning, you know, be, take a little bit of a critical view of what are the things that we're calling yoga and understand that not everything goes, you know, not everything is yoga, even if you call it that. Um, who's the deciding factor on that? Uh, you know, is it the teacher? Is it the organization? Is it the student? Um, No, it's going to be the outcome, you know, what is the outcome of those practices, that's going to determine yoga, in my opinion, which might be a poorly formed opinion, so.
0: I like that character of mind.
1: Yeah, we, and, you know, that's like, look into any yoga text, and one of the first things that a yoga text is going to do is to define what they're talking about and define what the outcome is of the teaching, whether it's Hatha Yoga Pradipika, Gheranda Samhita, Shiva Samhita, Patanjali Yoga Sutra, any of those yoga texts, they're going to say, this is what we're talking about and this is the outcome. That's yoga, you know? And if so, whatever we're doing should fit into those guidelines or move us towards those guidelines. And then we can say, yeah, it's a yoga practice. But if it doesn't fit into those guidelines and it's giving a different outcome, then, you know, maybe it's not Hindu yoga, Indian yoga. Maybe it's something else. We call it that. I don't know.
0: This has been amazing and um, I really appreciate it. And I think it's going to resonate so profoundly.
1: Maybe, or maybe people just hate it, but that's okay. I mean, that's just where I'm at and it's cool. And, and, you know, effort is good, but we have to remember about what is right effort. Right effort is effort that doesn't exhaust you, make you sick or make you completely obsessive or fanatical. Uh, A right effort will keep you balanced and energized and focused and connected, giving, compassionate, caring, kind, all those things. So, So, you know, effort is good, but it's gotta be the right effort.
2: Oh, thank you, Eddie. Thank you.
1: It is a pleasure to come back on your podcast again. And thank you for asking me to come back on.
2: If you'd
0: like to practice with Eddie or learn more about his apps or practices or lectures, visit eddystern.com. And maybe I'll see you in one of those little boxes in the morning. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Peg Queen, along with Megan Powell. Music, is by Mark Pilley. Stay tuned for a short excerpt from February's issue of The Path, which you can download now at AshtangaDispatch.com. Enjoy. Strength and Grace, Yoga Sutra, Chapter Two, Verse Forty Eight. Once understood, opposites no longer disturb. Every now and then I feel it. Usually when I'm moving. Rarely when I'm sitting. And never when I'm trying. Exacting but effortless, I am perfectly poised in my body. The way a bird lands and perches on a branch. Or a deer leaps over the fence in the field. I do not think. There is no doubt. My body knows without me telling. Last week... The feeling lasted a full 10 seconds as I glided along the snow in my skis, strong and graceful as my legs curved around a narrow path carved by skiers before. I looked ahead towards the downward descent and suddenly worried that I might fall, which is what happened, of course. The spell was broke and I fell. But know that this is my pattern, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. My mind always manages to trip up my body, leaving it tangled in unnecessary thought. And especially in my yoga practice, because I care so much, too much, really. You see, I'm a classic over-efforter. Trying isn't my problem. It's allowing with which I struggle. In the Yoga Sutras, it's this disentanglement process that Patanjali puts forth rather than any specific protocol or method. In fact, the only description for postures given is as much a reflection of the mind as it is the body. Stira, Sukham, Asanam. Stira translates as strong and steady. Sukha means comfortable and relaxed. And in all that we practice, moving or seated, mentally and physically, This is our aim, to find stability and ease. In its most fundamental understanding, stereosucum is often described as the balance between strength and flexibility. Most of us come to the mat with more of one than the other, and sometimes a lot more of one than the other. In any case, what we hope is that through practice, the two will even themselves out. And in the beginning, there is certainly progress in that direction. Our hips start opening, hamstrings lengthen, and our arms and shoulders get stronger. But then a curious thing starts to happen. Suddenly, the group that came to work on mobility starts to grunt and sweat pours out of their skin while they pull and push themselves into position. Meanwhile, the strength seekers start skipping vinyasas and listlessly flop over their joints. Now I am exaggerating, plus the equation and its solution is never that straightforward. My point is only this, old habits die hard. And we all have patterns, tendencies in both movement and behavior that we've literally been repeating all of our lives. How do you think I've become so adept in analysis and problem solving? Why I am so practiced and familiar with the process that I will create problems to solve, even when no problem exists. And explains why those moments of pure strength and grace often emerge in activities that demand every ounce of my body, to the extent that even my head is consumed. So, rarely in primary series, but sometimes in advanced. For me, there can be no room for words. For words may be my specialty, but they're also my folly. And especially in yoga, words only get in my way. Here's the thing. We're all born with certain traits and talents, and it's natural that we hone such inclinations and gifts, just not exclusively, not to our own detriment. In the way that workers must also know how to rest and speakers learn to listen, we can embrace what is innate about ourselves and still actively develop the other side. And isn't that why we started practicing yoga to begin with? You know, it's often the complaint that the Ashtanga yoga method is structured in a way that can feel too rigid or boring. I fought both at different times. I have to remind myself that it's its structure that also makes it brilliant because sometimes too many choices are as limiting as none, especially when we're already so apt to choose habit over health. Instead, we have this beautiful sequence of reaching up, then touching down, of bending forward and backwards and moving side to side. We stand, we sit, we lengthen and fold. We're right side up, and then upside down. The whole method is really just a series of opposite actions performed in various complexities. All in all, it's really remarkably balanced. Even so, the method, like any other method, is still just a map. And there will always be those who turn it into a bunch of punishing rules because that's just what they do. That's their habit similar to the creative sequences put together by individual teachers, complete with their own whims and biases. Because that's what we all do. Unless that is, we make it deliberate to do something different. In your own practice, is there something that feels forced? How about neglected? How might you ease off in one area while paying more attention to the other? You can download February's issue of The Path and join for the upcoming months by visiting ashtangaDispatch.com. Again, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening.